The kitchen is definitely the heart of the home. Kitchens sell homes, so they're really important. But it's really important that also that it's homogenous with the living space, so it blends in. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Well, hello, hello, renovators. It's Bernadette back with this week's episode of She Renovates. And today I am starting a new series of episodes based on kitchen renovating. So this came as a request through our free She Renovates Facebook group. And so what I've decided to do is to do this in three episodes. So my next three solo episodes will be on kitchen renovating and I'm going to break it down into the first part, which is planning the kitchen. Second is sourcing your trades and materials. And third is execution. Okay, so today we're talking about planning the kitchen. Whenever we are doing a reno, even if it's on our own home, we are always thinking about making sure that we get maximum value for minimum cost. So the renovating for profit approach to kitchen renovating, because we all know that you can blow a huge amount of money on a kitchen. I've heard horror stories of people spending 50, 60, even 100,000 on a kitchen and not necessarily getting a better outcome. So this is all about being savvy with your money and making sure that you deliver champagne on a beer budget. So the kitchen is definitely the heart of the home. Kitchens sell homes, so they're really important. But it's really important that also that it's homogenous with the living space, so it blends in. Renovators tend to gravitate towards a strong kitchen in order to differentiate the place. We call it the wow. But just remember that it is the part of a bigger story and you want to make sure that it um, works with the rest of the home. Before I get into the nuts and bolts of it, I want to hark back to an episode I did with James Bergen where we talked about the hobo, the home office, broadcasting office, And in that episode, which I will include in the show notes, he refers to a school of thinking that was popularised by Bernard Salk. Bernard talked about the fact that since the 50s, our kitchens have evolved from a traditional eating kitchen to the current open plan where the activity revolves around the island bench. So in the past, if someone visited the home these are Bernard's words, not mine, particularly suitors, that they were ushered into the front living room and didn't get past there. So that's where all the entertaining happened. So no visitors ventured into the kitchen. That was sacred ground, private space. But now our guests walk right through the house. They walk past the bedrooms and hence we've developed this phenomenon that he refers to as pillification. So we style our bedrooms because they're seen as guests walk past the bedrooms 
and down to the kitchen to mill around the island bench. And so that's meant that the island bench has become more upmarket. So it's now marble or a similar luxurious stone with German gooseneck tap tech. And apparently that's how you showcase prosperity in modern Australia. Now, while it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's actually not far from the truth. And so when we are designing our kitchen, we want to keep this in mind so that we create a kitchen that is really going to add significant value to your property and that everyone will love. So even in your own home, you want everyone to love your beautiful home because as renovators, our homes are an expression of who we are that validation is really important. And it's important when we come to sell as well. Whenever we um, start thinking about a renovation, I always begin with the end in mind. Now, what that means is I think about how I'm going to present the property when it goes to market, or if it's not going to market, how I'm going to present that area in a way that it looks its best. And that will help to inform the decisions you make about the layout and the materials that you use in the kitchen. Now, in line with Bernard's philosophy around the kitchen and the island bench being the meeting area of modern kitchens, we want to make sure that we have got as much space as possible to work with. I call it hangout value. And what you want to do, if you can, is to open that room up. So that's the first thing we look at in every single renovation. Can we open the kitchen up to the adjacent living areas? Because eating kitchens are no longer cool. We really want to be able to facilitate the entertainer's kitchen where the cook is not cut off from the guests. Instead, they're milling around the island while the cook or the chef is preparing the meal. And particularly not just in units, but um, opening that up, if you've got the opportunity to open up a wall between your kitchen and your living space, then you will need to get an engineer or someone, an engineer or a builder, to determine whether the wall between the two rooms is load-bearing. And if it is, design a support structure in order to be able to remove it. There are very rarely situations where if you had the opportunity to open up the kitchen to the living area that you couldn't justify the cost. It just has a massive impact on the overall value of the home. Of course, if you are taking out load-bearing walls, then you will need to get your engineer to do drawings and it's possible that you will need council approval or at least the CDC. But then once you've decided what's happening with the kitchen living area, you also want to look to see whether you can connect your kitchen with the outdoors. With our lives these days, the line between indoors and outdoors has been blurred. And so it's highly desirable if you can create flow from the kitchen, dining, living out to a deck or outdoor entertaining. So second thing to look at when you're planning a renovation. Then we're going to talk about the shape of the kitchen. With most, actually I'm not going to say most, with all renovations we're always balancing 
the budget against the design. So making sure that we get the best value for money, but still getting a really beautiful outcome. And so if you're on a really tight budget, the lowest cost shape to go for is a straight kitchen. So if you just go for one long run of cabinetry and bench tops, that will be the most cost effective. Unfortunately, it's not the easiest to work in. It doesn't have the golden triangle we always hear about in kitchen design, So, which is the fact that you should have a minimum amount of steps between your fridge, your cooker and your sink so it forms a triangle so you're only a couple of steps away from each of those elements of the kitchen so it's much easier to work in but I do notice a lot of apartments in particular just go for a straight kitchen presumably to save costs and I guess they justify that by thinking that people buying apartments don't cook, but I'd like to argue that because I think cooking is really coming back into fashion. And so the straight kitchen has a couple of modifications that make it much more user-friendly. One is the galley kitchen, so it's basically two straight kitchens directly opposite one another, but then you can add an island bench to a straight kitchen if you have the space to do it. And personally, I think that's my favourite kitchen shape. One, because it's you've got maximum width. So when you're looking at the kitchen front on, you've got a really nice tableau. So you've got the island bench, which is the social area, and then the cabinetry that sort of frames it behind. Now, of course, in most situations, you have to work with the existing. So you don't really have a lot. You may not have a lot of options for moving. And the other two shapes that are quite common are the U shape and the L shape. I tend to think that if you can't make an impact with an island bench or something similar, use your lighting for the impact, your lighting and the textures in your materials. Now, you might be wondering if it's worth configuring your kitchen or not reconfiguring your kitchen. So you might have the opportunity to do a much more desirable shape and wondering whether it's worth it. And if you are already planning to replace the joinery, I would say it is almost certainly worth reconfiguring. So what you do have to do is relocate your power to the cooking facilities and possibly your water, but I think the cost pales into insignificance when you consider the benefits. So a lot of 80s kitchen have a really high breakfast bar, so it cuts off the kitchen from the remainder of the room get rid of those. You want all your islands and breakfast bars to be at standard height, approximately 900 off the floor, so that it it creates a sense of openness and space. Keep your walkways generous so it doesn't feel cluttered and circulation isn't impeded so people can move around the kitchen quite comfortably. Try and minimise the corners that you have in the kitchen We all hate those corner cupboards and they actually diminish the usefulness of the storage. So if you can limit the corners that you have in your kitchen, that is a big plus. 
Okay, so you've decided on the shape of your kitchen. Next thing is to think about what you need to put in the kitchen. And I have to say, I think a pantry is almost a non-negotiable. So really work at how you can fit a pantry into the kitchen. And it can just be a double cupboard where you put some drawers inside. Actually, you don't even need to worry about the drawers if you're on a really tight budget. But I really think for some substantial storage, a pantry makes a big difference. And of course, a butler's pantry is the epitome of kitchen sophistications. If you can manage that, well, then you're really rocking with your kitchen. Obviously, the more budget you have, the more you can include. And on the topic of budget, generally, and it does depend on the strategy and the existing condition of the kitchen, but generally I would spend, I'd try to keep the spend around 1.5%, excluding floors and structural changes. So this is just for the, the kitchen cabinetry and appliances and bench tops. Sometimes you can get it for less. So for instance, the project we've just finished was in Arncliffe. We actually retained the oven and we also retained the carcasses of the base cabinets and we got the kitchen for around 1%. It was a very cost-effective kitchen, but we still managed to get the wow. And I'll include some images of that actually in the show notes. The next thing you want to think about is appliances. When you're thinking about reconfiguring the kitchen, you'll need to think about where those appliances go and for the sink and the dishwasher, you're going to need uh, drainage and hot and cold water. In an apartment, that can sometimes be problematic. There's usually a workaround. I think probably only once I've been in a position where I couldn't move the kitchen because we just could not find a workaround. But usually there is a way of achieving that. Yeah, but knowing where that's going to go really determines how your kitchen's going to flow. So you want the dishwasher. You definitely want more than a single sink. It's minimum requirement. I did an episode where I spoke to one of the Coroma kitchen and bathroom designers about what people want. And I'll also include a link to that in the show notes. But Mimi, who is one of the Coroma designers, said that that is really popular. Very rarely does a kitchen renovator go for a single sink. So make sure that it's one and a quarter, one and a half, or even a double sink. The kitchen is the hub of activity in a home. It's where a lot of work happens. You want to make sure, no matter what budget you're on, that the kitchen is going to deliver an outcome that's acceptable for who the end user of that property. You also want to think about where the microwave goes. It's a mistake not to include uh, provision for a microwave. And if I'm really stuck for putting it somewhere, often I'll put it in the pantry but make sure there is a PowerPoint that it's not too high because I think that can be quite dangerous. I've seen them underbench and I've done them underbench, which I think is fine, 
but if I haven't got a spot, I usually resort to the pantry. So it's right in the middle. If you're going for a luxury kitchen, obviously the brand of your appliances is going to be very important. I always like to buy good brands anyhow and brands that have been tried and tested. But if you're going more high end, then obviously you're going to have to get a good European brand, preferably 900 wide cooktop and range hood and oven. So you also want to think about do you want to go for the cooktop and oven configuration or do you want to go for an actual freestanding cooker? I personally prefer the look of a cooktop and oven. I think it's a lot cleaner because you don't have legs or you don't have the opportunity for dust and grime to get under it. It's just inset in the cabinetry. But I don't really think that's a deal breaker. You do need to make sure that your cooktop and your range hood are the same height. I like things to line up. So in the kitchen, all the top cabinets uh, line up with the bottom cabinets and Cabinet makers don't necessarily do that unless you follow up and make sure that they do. And same with the range hood and the cooktop. If you are having a recirculated range hood installed, so it's not going to be ducted outside, I've very rarely seen this done properly. So you need to make sure that it is installed properly. And the person that installs the range hood is the joiner. Okay, so the electrician puts the power point in but the joiner installs the range hood so you want to make sure that it is done correctly because with a recirculating range hood they have vents at the front so the doors need to be cut shorter to allow air to circulate through those vents and there is a trim an optional trim that goes on the front to cover the vents so they're not seen but they still allow circulation I actually did a quick video on this and we'll also link that in the show notes so that you see what I mean. The other thing that you can do in your planning if you are restricted by your budget is to consider some open shelving. And it's quite a nice decorative look and it also enables you to have considerably more storage without the cost of fully resolved cupboards. Now, thinking about the style of your kitchen, this is a really important decision. I like to think of the current kitchen styles as being falling into three categories. So there's the ones that channel nature. So basically, they reflect the natural environment. So in the colours, in the materials, so you'll have extensive use of timber, you'll have colours like we're seeing some forest green, so the lush forest being reflected in the kitchen or the muted greys and whites of a Scandinavian landscape or even the murky billabong, the dark black kitchen. Of course, natural stone, if you've got the budget for it, is a really lovely addition to your kitchen. And a look that we really like is like the island benches that look like a stone monolith. So they're actually clad on three sides with stone and that echoes a lot of nature's drama. Glass in the splashback, like a glass window, I think is a lovely way of pulling nature in. I've seen varied reports on whether it's a pain to keep clean or not, but if you have the opportunity to do that, I'd consider it because it's a definite wow factor. 
and also having the multifold doors and windows between inside and out is really attractive and if that works with your market it's something to think about. So the second type of a kitchen I call it the aspiring chef so it's the kitchen that's designed for high spec appliances so it would definitely have a butler's pantry in which may even have the dishwasher in the butler's pantry to allow for lots of work to happen in the butler's pantry rather than messing up the kitchen and leaves the kitchen free for entertaining so you know since COVID the home kitchens now become a restaurant so there's lots of in-home entertaining happening and in-home cooking and even to the point where we're having barista coffee coming out of our kitchen we certainly do and lots of high-tech equipment like steam ovens multiple ovens with plate warming boiling and chilled water dispensers we have that too and little tweaks like pot filling taps which is a tap with an extendable arm over the cooktop to allow you to fill your soup pot without actually lifting it off the stove, which I personally think is a lovely idea. And lighting with high CRI value, which basically makes things look real, like the colours more vibrant, so your veggies look more real with high CRI lighting. A company that we use is called Bright Green Lights and they do a really good quality light. And then the third type of kitchen is the character kitchens. So these are your Hamptons, your retro, your industrial. Cottage cores making a big comeback. So that's like your granny's kitchen. But if you're going to go down something that has a distinct style, you need to make sure it's consistent with your market. Okay, so that's the main objective, because if you're spending a lot of money on a kitchen, you want to make sure that you are not polarising your market. Now, Hamptons are really popular in Australia, although we do tend to go for a slightly more casual version. I call it Hamptons on holidays. But then, of course, that impacts the cabinet profile you go for. Personally, when we've done Hamptons, we've used a simple shaker style. I don't like it to look too ornate. And the colour palette's usually greys and whites and navies and sometimes some oatmeal as well. The other thing with the Hamptons kitchen is the porcelain butler's sink, which I, I think a lot of us really love. Anytime I've done that in a project, I've always used the Ikea butler's sink, which I think it costs about, for a double, about $400. Whereas if you do that in any other brand of butler's sink, you'll be paying probably closer to twelve dollars or $1,500. So a great way of keeping your budget in check. So when choosing colour, you want to be pretty careful. If you get too bold with your colour, you can polarise your audience. I have noticed that the dark green has become very popular. I don't know, I'm not really in love with it. And I have to say, I would think long and hard about buying a property that had a dark green kitchen in it. But I guess making the decision will depend entirely on your market. I would stick to neutral colours, like I think a soft grey is fine. We're doing black in our current kitchen and that's a first, so we'll see whether it's a triumph or a disaster. But by far, the most popular kitchen colour is still white. 
I think you need to have some imagination if you're going to be putting a white kitchen in and make sure that you get the wow, you have some element of surprise. I think the days of putting the cheap and nasty white kitchen in have long gone. You want to try and make it memorable. How we've done it is either with using timber panelling. So in the last two projects, I've used a white panelling, slatted panelling, which we really love and is quite cost effective. And curves are another way to have your kitchen stand out. So a curved island bench is a really nice touch. And the other great thing about curves is that they help with the circulation. So they make it easier to move around the kitchen because you don't have sharp corners. Next thing to think about, so colours, metals. Brass is very popular. Polished brass is very popular at at the moment for tapware. But as I've mentioned in other episodes, any um, metal that you choose, is it's like a gateway drug. Once you've picked taps in that, you really need to take it right through the door hardware, the cabinetry, and so that can significantly impact your budget. So think about that. If you are holding the home for, you know, it's going to be the home that you're living in, then I would be careful putting in two on-trend metals because they will have a limited life. Some of us are old enough to have seen the gold-plated tap era and now it's coming around again. The great thing about tapware and door hardware now is that it doesn't tarnish. If you have polished brass, then you can expect it to stay looking the way it is on day one, which is a big plus. I tend to avoid handles altogether because even when we're doing uh, Hampton style, I personally think handles break up the kitchen too much. I prefer to have something that looks a bit more streamlined. That depends on the style that you're going for. Now, in order to design your kitchen, I personally think that if you're spending more than 5000 on a kitchen, you should have some professional help to design it. If you're not really super confident with producing a good outcome because that will make a big difference in the final edit. I've been renovating for 30 years and still there are times when I don't feel confident about designing my own kitchen. I just can't get it to work. Fortunately, we have a very cost-effective way of getting high-end design on an absolute shoestring budget. David has a service called the Renovator Concept Session. I think the price is going up, but I think it's still less than $500. And he will help you nut out the concept of your design, not just for your kitchen, but for the home. And that enables you to get high-end design and stick within your budget. So he's certainly done plenty. He's worked on projects like Barangaroo House, Lavender Bay Boat Shed, lots of high-end projects. And it's called the Renovator Concept Session. You can Google it or I'll include a link in the show notes if you need some help with the design. I wanted to say thank you to Jenna Bradwell 
for her lovely review. Five stars, amazing insights and advice. Bernadette is an inspiration, warm, open, and a fountain of wisdom and advice. I've learned so much about everything from renovating to selling to creating an independent future from this podcast. Looking forward to every episode. Thanks so much, Jenna. And Jenna has now become one of our community. She's just recently sold her first project. She is a very upwardly mobile young woman, now looking for a second. And I'm really excited to see where renovating takes her. So our Arncliffe project is on the market. Thank goodness. So we're really excited to see how that goes. I was pretty happy with the outcome and we were just tallying up the figures last night and the reno at this stage I think is around 28,000 we've spent so we're under budget and so we're pretty happy. Kudos to my student Odette, she's done an epic job and so now I'm back getting Darlinghurst going and also our class project So we're going to be sourcing a property for that one very shortly. So stay tuned. That's about all I have for today. So I'm going to love you and leave you. And I will see you next week. And session two of the kitchen episodes will happen the week after. So every second week for the next six weeks will be a kitchen renovating episode. Bye for now. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.